We've got a, uh, a new, new, new sermon series uh, for two weeks. Uh, we've just been doing Meeting God in the Old Testament, which we did for about nine weeks, which was really great. Well, sorry, I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? Enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we're going to do something that's a little bit topical uh, now for the next two weeks. We're talking about making godly decisions. Uh, the more and more I chat with people, the more and more I come across people who are wrestling with how do I make a decision to choose what's right and good for God? And so I thought it might work with you for the next two weeks and see if we can come up with a framework that would help us make godly decisions. Sounds a bit ambitious, doesn't it? Uh, have I ask God for help and see, uh, see what we might be able to achieve this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance now. I pray that you would give us peaceful hearts. I pray that you might open our hearts and minds that we might be are ready to hear what your word would say to us. Father, we long to please you, and we ask that in this particular area, you might guide and help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I guess the, uh, the first thing to say is, uh, how do you make tough decisions right now? How do you make tough decisions right now? Uh, it's almost impossible to live in this life without having to come across them, isn't it? Uh, there are small decisions. Uh, you go into the, sh the supermarket and there are 27 different types of toothpaste. And you think, do I want the whitening one with the scrubbing thing that includes the 24-hour protection? Like, we, we have to make decisions like that. But there are far more important decisions. Decisions about uh, schooling for our kids. About what to do with our retirement. About how to choose the right job. Uh, these things really matter, and because they matter, they must matter to our Heavenly Father. So I want you to think, how do you, how do you make decisions now? I want to share a, uh, a situation that uh, Carolyn and I came across. A couple of years ago, uh, we went on a holiday in Tasmania and uh, took my sister along, who was uh, single at the time, so that we could have, uh, have a, a great holiday. And we thought to ourselves, we're going to spend two weeks here making decisions it's going to be a nightmare because we're all, we're all happy to defer to the other. Oh, no, what do you want? Oh, no, 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 no. No, what, what do you want? And so we figured we would be sitting there making ridiculous decisions endlessly. And so what we decided to do was turn to the only source of guidance that anyone could possibly need, uh, which is the Magic 8-Ball. Are people at all familiar with the Magic 8-Ball? Okay, you shake the Magic 8-Ball and you ask it a question, and then uh, up the front here floats a little answer, a little answer. So we could ask, um, should I have lunch out today or go home? And it says, most likely. That's really helpful. Uh, let's ask it another question. You call out a question, a random question. Anyone got one? Sorry? Uh, where to go? Well, it doesn't have lots of answers, so it only answers yes, no's. But thank you. If it could do that, I would truly be bound to the Magic 8-Ball forever. Uh, one more yes, no question. Someone ask. Is it going to rain today? Great question, Bernie. Uh, don't count on it is the answer, apparently, from the Magic 8-Ball. Anyway, so what, what we did, every decision that we had in our holiday, uh, we put it to the Magic 8-Ball. So, uh, you know, should we have pizza tonight? Well, without a doubt, would come up. And so it's a random answer generator. I think it's got about eight sides to it. So depending on as you shake it, one of these little sides will come up to the top and uh, you'll get an answer. Better not tell you now. Well, there you go. Um, I, 
I love the Magic 8-Ball. And so literally every time we had to make a decision on this holiday, we just asked the Magic 8-Ball. Fantastic. So that's one way of making decisions. Uh, does it sound godly? No, not really. Um, so what has God told us? What we're going to do today is we're going to start with uh, this first sermon. You better come for two, right? Uh, two sermons. Uh, sermon number one is going to be, what has God told us? And then, so lot, lots of building a structure here today. And then next week, we'll try and apply it and think how what we learned this week will help us make better decisions next week. All right? So uh, what has God told us? I'm actually going to invite Luke up to come and help us and be my Bible reader. Uh, Luke, thank you. Um, thank Luke for coming up. Yeah, yeah, well done, Luke. I like it when they clap before you've done anything, Luke. Yeah. It's really yeah. positive. So um, I want to think about not just when we go for guidance. We often think, God, what will you tell me to do? But I want us to think, what has God already told us? Oh, this is from the Lego Day Camp. Uh, and it has some instructions on the front. Uh, how to fit in, have everyone like you and always be happy. <laughs> Uh, that's not. This is the Bible. And um, what has God already told us? Well, I'm going to tell you there's at least five big things that we should know before we make any decisions that God has already told us. Point number one is the Jesus plan. Uh, the Jesus plan. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Do you want to read that for us, mate? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay. First thing that we need to know is that God has told us we can know for sure that everyone will glorify Jesus. Everyone will glorify Jesus. Some of, that, some of those people will do it willingly now. So hopefully you are here today as people who've decided... I will glorify Jesus because I will bend the knee now. You're the Lord. But the Bible tells us that even if you don't bend the knee now, a day is coming where every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And what that means is they'll meet Jesus face to face and on that day it will be irresistibly clear that Jesus is the Lord and everyone will confess that he is Lord. So point number one to know is God has set this universe up so that every single tongue will glorify Jesus. That's what I'm calling the Jesus plan, point number one. Point number two is called the church plan, and there are a couple of bits in the church plan. Can you read the first one for us, mate? Praise, oh, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Thank you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Fantastic. What's it saying? It's saying God chose before the creation of the world to save people, to call them out, to wash them clean and to form them together into a church. This isn't something that God's doing on the run. He actually had this in mind before the world began. His church plan, firstly, is that he will save people out from the world and he has chosen them from before the world was created. Point number one of the church plan. There's another part to this church plan. Do you want to tell us? 
Ephesians 4:11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Get yeah, sorry. So Christ himself, yeah. You're right, you're doing great. Right the first time, sorry. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God has said, I'm going to save a church, and then he said, I'm going to put pastors, teachers, evangelists, I'm going to put all those people in place. What's their job? To mature the body of Christ until we see him face to face. So God said, I put people in my church to mature us, to help us to grow up until we are all ready to see him face to face. So God will save a church. God will mature his church. Uh, there's a third point about the church, mate. Do you want to tell us that one? Uh, Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay, where was that church from? Every tongue, every language, every nation. God will call a church, God will mature a church, and God will call his church from every nation. That's brilliant. I'm calling that point two the church plan. So point number one, Jesus will be glorified. Point number two, God will call, mature, and diversify his church. Uh, that's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, point number three, I've called this the everyday plan. The everyday plan. Uh, if you can read this for us, mate. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Saved by grace, saved through faith, good works prepared for us to do. Hey, God, I'm not sure if I dropped off your plan. Well, here's the thing he's telling us. God has prepared good works for you to do every day. They're laid out before us. God has chosen you, he's called you, and he's equipped you to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. So the everyday plan, good works are prepared. The on the way plan. Uh, do you want to tell us about this one, mate? Oh, before we say it, People often say to me um, when it comes to guidance, I just want to know what God's will is. Yeah, you heard that turn of phrase? I just want to know what God's will is. Um, if I don't have any other special information for them, I point them to this passage here. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to, 17, uh, 17 to, uh, 16 to 18. Uh, so people say to me, what's God's will for me? Have a listen. This is an incredible answer to what God's will is for you. Thanks, Luke. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. The end. And people are like, no, but I want to know what God's will is. Well, you ready? Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and be joyful always. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you're like, yeah, but what about? And it goes, there you are. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That's a great start, isn't it? Whatever I'm doing, how am I doing it? Am I doing it joyfully? Am I doing it prayerfully? 
Am I doing it thankfully? Guess what? That's actually tied up with God's will for you. We go, well, should I buy premium unleaded or just regular unleaded? No, 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 no. Joyful, thankful, prayerful, yeah? That's a great place to start. So the on the way plan is to do with our character, how we act in the world that uh, God has given to us. There's a bit more information though from, uh, from 1 Peter 3, mate. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We're told that we're always to be prepared to have a reason for the hope that we have. So there's something about the way we live our life that we're ready to say, someone says to you, you say to someone, hey, I went to church on the weekend. And they go, really? That's a bit odd. Why did you go? And you go, I don't know. So what I kind of do every Sunday, I guess. What it's saying here, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have is to have something reasonable to say. Because I find life and hope there. Because they have a really great morning tea. Uh, because... Uh, be prepared to give an answer, okay, on the way. And it says, it says that we're to act in such a way that those who speak maliciously against our good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What does that tell us about how we should act? It needs to be slanderous to say that we've been acting badly. How can it be slander? The only way it can possibly be slander is if it's what? Not true. So you and I need to be ready to give an answer. We need to be people who are on the lookout for those opportunities to say, yeah, here's what I believe and here's why. We need to be people who will live in such a way that we will be above reproach and be holy. That's our on the way plan. All right, uh, the all okay plan. This sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, read us this one, mate. Uh, Romans 8.28, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Does anyone know this verse? Does anyone love this verse? I love it. I think it's great. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It's deeply encouraging. What it says is the God of the universe cares about you such that the things that happen in your life are working together for good. The problem is when we hear that, we go, so that means everything will go good for me endlessly. My perception of what's good and God's perception of what's good are often at odds. And uh, the way I always try and remember this is to think about my kids and ice cream. Explain this to you. If my son comes up to me, as he would often do if I let him, he'll come up to me and say, Dad, Dad, can I have some ice cream? And maybe I'm feeling generous today. I say, yes, son, you can have an ice cream. And he's like, oh, that's brilliant. And he finishes it and he comes back with his bowl and says, can I have some more? And I go, it's Sunday, it's in the school holidays, maybe I'll give you a little bit more. Takes that away, comes back and says, Dad, can I have some more? At this point, what happens, guys? We say, no, there will be no more ice cream. Right now, at this point, there are two perspectives. There's an Isaac perspective and there's a daddy perspective. From Isaac's perspective, here's what's happened. 
Daddy doesn't love me anymore. Why won't he let me have the ice cream? It's not good. From my perspective, I'm saying, buddy, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you have any more ice cream. Now, too often, we are stuck as the child, aren't we? I know that this is good. I know that you should give me this. This is for my good. Please, now, more, please. And what we have to do is we have to develop the humility to say, maybe I'm not right. Maybe everything I want for myself is not what is best for me. And that we need to cast our cares and anxieties before our Heavenly Father who does care for us and will indeed work out all things together for our good. Have a listen to one of the goods that I mentioned a little bit later in Romans. If you can read this next passage for us, mate. Romans 5 verse 3. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Ah, yes, you can sit down, Luke. Thank you. Um, Oh, lovely. Thanks, Bernie. Uh, If you don't know, that's uh, Luke's other half. That's lovely. Um, So here's the thing. It just mentions suffering. And we'd say, God, look, when it comes to giving me what's good... All things work together for the good of those who love them. And you go, well, God, I can tell you what's not good. Suffering isn't good. I'll have none of that. Thank you very much. And he says that our sufferings produce perseverance, that perseverance produces patience. Patience, oh, sorry, patience produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. And our hope will not disappoint us because he's put his Holy Spirit in our hearts. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. even suffering. And it will never be enjoyable. But it will be for our good and for his glory. What has God revealed to us? If we're going, God, what what is your will for us? What, What do you want for us? Well, we should concern ourselves with what he wants first. The first thing we can see there is that he has a plan to make Jesus Lord over all. That he will build his church that every day he has prepared good works for us, that on the way our character needs to be exemplary and that in the end we know it will be all okay because he is working out all things for his glory. Now, if we started that way and we said, God, I've got a decision to make here, how does what I know about your priorities impact that decision? Some of our decisions will become clearer right then. How could I possibly do this when I know you're on about this? Does that make sense? But I want to think some more because uh, the context for my plans are his plans. The context for my plans are his plans, okay? And so we are people who want to be about what God is on about. And will what I do Help or hinder his plans. And I, think, I can tell you pretty much straight away, if what you're planning to do will hinder one of these plans, guess what? Can't be his will for you. Okay. But what if I can't figure out what to do just from that? I mean, come on. There are lots of decisions that, that don't get made just from that. So here we go. It's Sunday morning. I think it's quite warm in here. It's lovely. Are you, are you feeling comfortable? Good. Um, I don't want you to fall asleep. I want you to step up now. Bear with me. We're going to see if we can apply some of what we're thinking about, about making decisions. What happens when those five things won't help me make my decision? 
First thing I want to suggest to you is, is there a command of God that I can find that would tell me what to do? So I'm thinking about murdering my neighbor. Good, I'm glad you're laughing. I love Craig and Linda very much. I'm not, gonna, I'm not planning to do that at all. He, here's the thing. It's explicit there, isn't it? God says what? Do not... Some of you know it. Do not murder, okay? So it's, it's obvious. There's actually a command here that tells me what I should do. So the first thing to do is to go through here and go, am I missing any obvious commands that might guide my decision? Here's the awesome thing about this. You can't cheat. If you've got no idea what's in here, guess what? You've probably got no idea what he's commanded you either. So you want to make godly decisions? Can I tell you, this is the irrefutably instructive, useful manual you must be familiar with. You will never know God's mind if you never know God's mind. Now that sounds stupid, doesn't it? I mean, it's so obvious. But here's the thing, a whole bunch of people say to me, oh, I don't really read my Bible, but um, I'm trying to make this decision. I'm wondering what God thinks. I'm like, well, you could start with the 66 books he's given you and see how you go with that. It's a bit rich, isn't it, when you say, I'm waiting for a word from God and you haven't read the word from God. First question, have I got a command that tells me what I should or shouldn't do? Well, let's say that it's either it's not a no or you can't find a yes, right? So, so you're going, I'm not stopped from doing this by a command. Does that make sense? So it's, it's in the yes category. So, uh, you know, should I buy a new car? Well, there isn't actually a command about cars. Are you with me? So we can take the no box out. We're working in the category of yes. It's not stopped by a command. So on this side, I want to tell you that we are working in the area of what's called wisdom and discernment. Discernment is figuring out in a godly way. Okay? And, and here's the awesome thing about this. Guess what? It's hard work. And I'm not going to make your decisions for you today. I'm going to give you a framework to help you think about making godly decisions. So first thing to say is God is actually concerned about who we are as we live. Our character matters to him. Now, in the world around us, it couldn't give a rip about this, right? The world does not care what your character is as you make decisions. Your heavenly Father does. Character matters. Who does God want me to be? I think we've got issues that are low character impact and issues that are high character impact. Okay, At New Life, we're trying to talk about building a godly character that is faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. We believe that this lines up with the Word of God and shows the characteristics that He is looking for. So you might ask yourself, the question is, am I being faithful? Is this, is this decision helping me be more faithful? Am I being more or less adventurous? Is my conservatism tied to not trusting God enough? Am I being compassionate? Does the God who loves the poor, who loves justice, who loves righteousness and holiness, does that impact my decision? Enduring. Am I making a decision here that will keep me running long in loving Jesus? 
or will making this decision hinder me, stop me from being someone who will keep following Jesus their whole life? Your character matters. Low character impact decisions, high character impact decisions. The other dimension that we have is across the top here, which is to do with conscience. I said a while ago, conscience is something that our whole world has forgotten about. It's got no idea about conscience. Conscience is the voice in the back of your head that's telling you what's right and wrong. Yeah? And we inevitably stick a sock in its mouth and tell it to be quiet. Is that right? I would much prefer to just ignore you. Don't say that. I'm pretty set on doing that. Our conscience Now, for some of us, we have a really highly sensitive conscience. Some of us have it overtuned. So I was away with a mate of mine recently on retreat, and he was just sweating some stuff, and he was just going, I don't know what to do because I'm terrified that I'll make the wrong decision. His conscience was, I think, overly sensitive. Now, I don't don't meet too many people like that. I meet people on the other end of that spectrum who go, what ifs? It doesn't really matter. Whatever I decide to do, I don't really, I'm not worried about anyone else. I'm just going to make whatever decision I'm comfortable with. And we kind of ignore whatever voice might be at the back of our, our heads. For some of us, sin and hardness of heart have been muffling that voice for a long time. And some of you have done something even worse. You've trained your conscience to say things that are at odds with God. You've said it's okay when it's not. God is concerned about our character and about our conscience. Let me show you what the effect of thinking like this is. Three types of decisions. There's a category of righteousness, which is choosing the yes and no of God, right? So has God told me what to do? Yep. Well, get on and do it. Okay, or he's told me not to do that in his word. Don't do it. That's the category of righteousness. I think that's pretty straightforward, so long as you're well informed. There's a second category, which I'm calling good judgment. And this is in that yes category. It's high on character impact, but it can be variable on conscience. And then there's a third group down here called trivial decisions that are low impact on character, low impact on conscience. And all I want to say to you is, I reckon a whole bunch of you may have too many in this category. We're not thinking hard enough about some of the decisions we make with money, with time. The whole variety of things in our lives. We've put heaps into this trivial category. I want to suggest quickly how we'd use these categories to make decisions. We're going to apply it soon next week, but I'll just show you. So for the righteousness, for good judgment, and for the trivial. And then up the top, our five big pointers about what God's on about in the world. Firstly, we should weigh what God's on about in the world as we make our decisions. Does what God is on about impact this decision? Weigh it. Work it out. When it comes to righteousness, you should just obey it. Just do it. Whatever God says, get on and do it. Or don't do it, as the case may be. So weigh his priorities, 
obey when it comes to righteousness. When it comes to good judgment, I want you to pray. Pray and discern. Slow down. Don't just make a decision shooting from the hip. Oh yeah, of course we're going to invest in whatever. Our third home in a speculative market overseas somewhere. For instance, uh, don't just shoot from the hip. Pray and discern. And for the trivial, I've said, hey, it's okay. Just get on and make a decision. Uh, In order to do this well, to weigh it, we need to know his plans. To obey, we need to know his commands. To pray, we need to know his desires for our conscience and our character. And for hey, we just need to know that it's okay. Don't get hung up on it. Make a decision and move on. All right, let's apply them very quickly. This is a taste test for next week. Let's drop some decisions in here and see where they sit. How about choosing my spouse? Well, interestingly enough, there are some people that we shouldn't marry. The Bible has things to say about that. It is actually a righteousness decision, first of all. Secondly, it's then a good judgment decision. And I would argue it's hugely to do with character and conscience. In other words, make an incredibly wise and godly decision based on who they are and how they will help you in your godliness. It's right there. It's an intersection of righteousness and good judgment. How about my job? Well, there are some things that you can't do. So for instance, God says that you can't be a witch. Okay, so don't, don't get employed there. I know that'll be disappointing some of you. Luke snapping his fingers, that's a shame. So it is a righteousness thing. On the whole, your work is actually a good judgment decision. What are my skills? What are my gifts? What is God doing in the world? How does that help me make a decision? It's basically a good judgment decision. It may be a matter of conscience. It may be a matter of character, but it doesn't have to be. So it's down here. Then you've got something weighty like, what will I have for lunch? It is definitely in the trivial decision-making spot. And if you're hung up there, then I reckon that you should just get on. This is my, my program. I, I hate deciding what I've got to make for lunch. So my thing is, choose something and just make that all the time. Then you never have to think about it. You guys know Steve Jobs uh, used to be the head of Apple. Um, he actually chose white sneakers, a particular brand of jeans, and got someone, a fashion designer to make him a black skivvy. And he bought 50 of them, and he wore the same things every single day on the basis that he never wanted to have to use any of his brain space deciding what he would wear. Amazing, isn't it? Now, that's the nth degree of that. But a whole bunch of us can take out angst in our lives by just not wasting brain cycles on stuff that's irrelevant. Make a decision, crack on. Your 24-hour sparkle whitening toothpaste will be fine. Buy it again. What about making a decision on what house to buy? That's a big one, isn't it? We'll try and think about that next week. Holidays, we're going to talk about that. What to do with my money, we're going to try and talk about that. How about something like revenge, just to throw one on the other side? Should I extract revenge? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? 
and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and go, of course I wasn't planning on extracting revenge. That would clearly be wrong, wouldn't it? Okay. Do you get how it's working? Yep? All right. So how can we be wise? I'll just go through these quickly. Um, we use the Bible as a compass, not a map. So it won't always tell me what car to buy, but it will point me in the direction of the things that matter to God. Um, prayer, we need to pray, God, make me open so that my heart is ready to think conscience and character when it comes to decision making and not just what's best for me. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, transform my heart. Make my heart beat in line with your heart. Yeah? Where my conscience is messed up by sin, change me. Make me soft to the things that you care about. And he delights to do that. He can also provide specific revelation for us. It doesn't happen all the time, but the Holy Spirit can and will do that. So the Holy Spirit. Godly counsel, this is brilliant. You can ask other people who are Christians and say, hey, I think I'm just chasing after this because I love it. Can you provide me with some godly counsel so I can think with other Christians about how to make this really important decision? Peace. We should make decisions that leave us with quietness in our hearts. If you make a decision and afterwards you're second, triple guessing it, it's fretting you, guess what? You probably didn't take long enough to make the decision. Pray that you might find peace in your decision making. And then lastly, a little bit of practical advice. Sometimes we just need to choose. And uh, next week I'm going I'm to introduce you to the, uh, the coin uh, making uh, category of decisions. Uh, and uh, you're going to love it. It's really complex. Uh, you'll like it a lot. Okay, let me ask you two things as we finish. Am I seeking God's will or am I doing what I like? Lots of us would like to say that we're making godly decisions. And I think on the whole, what we're doing is we're praying, are we praying our questions or our conclusions? Okay? Dear God, help me make this decision that I go and have this awesome holiday, which I really, really want. And God, you know that would be good for me, so help me make a good decision. I just think sometimes we need to have some honesty, don't we? And if you really want it, that's fine. Pray up a storm. But don't tell me you're making godly decisions at the same time. Bring God your questions. God, guide me, direct me. Show me your path. Here's the reading from Philippians. We're going to finish on this. I, I, it makes so much more sense after what we've heard today, I hope. Paul writes to the Philippians church and he says this. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us today to consider the things that you are passionate about in this world. I pray, Father, that you would help us to choose what is good for you before what is good for us. Father, as we do that, I pray that we would know that those choices are always only for our good. Thank you for your deep love for us 
and your care for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.